Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. After watching a television presentation about rebellious youth, a husband said to his wife, what a mess. Where did our generation go wrong? And the wife calmly answered, we had children. (laughs) If our faith in Christ is real, it will usually prove itself at home and in our relationship with those who know us best. So like husbands and wives, children and parents, employers and employees have responsibility to each other to love, honor, and respect. Even so, it seems no matter where we look today, we see opposition, division, and rebellion. Husbands and wives divorcing, children rebelling, employees striking, and employers, in some cases, unyielding. Paul's solution is a great one. I love it. His solution to the struggles in the home and in society is simply regeneration. Regeneration, a new heart from God, and a new submission to Christ and to everyone else, to one another. And so from the beautiful picture of marriage where we covered last week, but we saw that Paul moves on to apply his principles of spirit-filled mutual submission to two other challenging relationships, parenthood and employment. In fact, we can apply these principles that we'll be looking at this evening of mutual submission to any and every kind of relationship that we could ever be a part of especially those needing the attention of humility and grace, which always seem to be in short supply. So the first one that he's going to talk to is, if you've read ahead, you know in verse 1 of chapter 6 is where we are, of Ephesians, is the child. Now, if we look around the room, we don't have any children in the room. Well, we're all children, right? just of the older variety. (laughs) But we also could apply this in the spiritual sense. We are still children of God. And the principles that the Apostle Paul lays down for kids continues to apply since he instructs them to obey their parents just as they would be obeying the Lord, right? That still stands for us, doesn't it? So as we're working through this, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on children, obviously, because not only are we all older, but all of our kids are older. <laughs> Most of them adults and out of the home. At least we hope they're out of the home, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Verses one through three. I know, be careful, right? I know. What am I talking about? What am I doing? Verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is Right? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life 
on the earth. Paul seems to assume that children would be in the congregation when this letter would initially be written, or would be, the letter would be read. But even addressing them, a, a segment of, of society that was considered to be virtually without rights, not only was the kids, but wives as well during that time, without rights, Paul elevated them and invested them with dignity and worth that was unheard of at that time within the Roman Empire. God requires children to obey because children need to rely on the wisdom of their parents. As we know, Jesus himself, even though he was Messiah, Son of God, obeyed his mom and dad, didn't he? You see, God requires this and it is important for kids to obey. You want to know why? Because obedience that recognizes parents' authority will and can carry over into recognizing God's authority. Now, I consider that important. How about you? Of course it is, right? Without learning obedience by obeying parents, children would run wild in society, growing up to be the lawless adults that some have become. You see, here's the deal. All social order depends on this very obedience that is to begin in the home. The Greek word translated obey is, is the Greek word hupakuo, okay? Which speaks of a soldier. This is, it's a cool word. It speaks of a soldier about to engage into battle, listening carefully for the orders and instructions from his commanding officer. If the soldier doesn't listen carefully, if he is aloof about it, it could lead to being in the wrong place at the wrong time, possibly even causing him to lose his life. The scriptural command to obey one's parents is not a call for a yeah, yeah, yeah kind of response. No, it calls for one to obey them as if their very life depended upon it. Already we can see how this so carries over into our walk as children of God, amen, with our Father in heaven. You see, um, it, it calls for one to obey. It's not a yeah, yeah, yeah kind of response. It calls for one to obey them as if their life depended on it. And so that is the degree and the intensity of this hupakua, okay, that kind of obey. Paul quotes the fifth commandment here in that second verse, this fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, of course, found in Exodus chapter 20, it's, it's, and this particular one is found in verse 12. And he applies it to the New Testament believer. Honor your father and your mother. Obeying and honoring are different. In other words, to obey means to do what, to what, to do what another says to do, but to honor means to respect and love. Children are to obey while under their parents' care, but they are to honor their parents for life. Amen? Paul says this is the first commandment with the promise. And those of you who know the Ten Commandments understand that, uh-oh, we have a problem. Because it's not the first commandment with the promise, it's the second commandment with the promise. Interesting. So what does Paul mean? What does, what's his point? 
How do we reconcile what appears to be a contradiction in Scripture? You see, the second commandment, the, the first commandment actually that has a promise is in verse 4, which is the second commandment. It's the one that talks about us having no idols, right? And if we're not to have idols, and if we show our love for God, God promises that he will love us to generations and generations and generations. So the first commandment with the promise is the second commandment. The fifth commandment here is the one he quotes. It's actually the second with, with the promise. So how do we explain this? Probably, most likely, what Paul's intention is that this is the first of the first or primary commandment for children to follow. The first four, not so much addressed to children, but this one obviously is. So it's more than likely speaking to children to follow this commandment, which has a promise that is the one that is applicable to them as children. That makes sense? So it's probably what he has in mind as he works his way through this. So not a contradiction necessarily at all. Originally, this promise applied to the Jewish people as they entered the promised land, as they entered Canaan. But Paul applies it to believers today. He, he um, substituted earth for land and tells us that the Christian child who honors their parents can expect two blessings. They will be well with them and they will live long on the earth. This does not mean that everyone who died young dishonored their parents. Doesn't mean that at all. He was stating a principle. When children obey their parents in the Lord, they will escape a good deal of sin and danger and therefore avoid the things that could threaten and shorten their lives. Makes sense, right? But life is not measured only by quantity of time. It is also measured by quality of experience. God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long they may live on the earth. Here's the deal. The principle that would be applied to this is this. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. Amen. Moving on, into, we get to verse 4, and he's now going to address the parent. <clears throat> It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If left to themselves, I think you probably would agree with me, children will be rebels. Right? If left to themselves. So it is necessary for the parents to train their children in the ways of God. The Bible records the sad results of parents neglecting their children. It's interesting, either by being bad examples to them or just failing altogether to discipline them properly. David pampered Absalom and set him a bad example, and the results were tragic. Eli failed to discipline his sons, and they brought disgrace to his name and defeat to the nation of Israel as well. In his later years, even Isaac pampered Esau while his wife showed favoritism to who? To Jacob, right? And the result was a divided home, which led to divided nations that continues to this very day. 
Having said this, obviously our discipline must be fair and consistent. My father would use a cannon to kill a mosquito, one teenager said. I either get away with murder or I get blamed for everything. I never knew how far I could go, a wayward young lady said to her counselor, because my parents never cared enough to discipline me. I figured that if it wasn't important to them, why should it be important to me? Consistent, loving discipline gives assurance to a child. The child may not agree with us, but at least they'll know that we care enough to build some protective boundaries around them until they are old enough to care for themselves. Did you notice that Paul doesn't say anything to mothers? Don't you find that interesting? I think it's interesting. Just to dads. It could be because it's natural for a mother to care about her kids. <laughs> to do whatever she needs to do for her kids. Dads, however, sometimes a different story. <laughs> the New Living Translation puts verse 4 like this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. The idea is that through his overbearing actions, a father can push a, push a child over the edge, not only failing to impart wisdom, but actually pushing a child away from wisdom. What are some of the things that will push children toward anger, resentment, or bitterness? Unreasonable demands for perfection will do it. Constant nagging over minor infractions. Not leaving room for freedom of expression and personal growth. Lack of encouragement and affirmation. Harsh, unloving rebukes or cruelty. Public embarrassment. Verbal or physical abuse. Inconsistent discipline. Showing favoritism for one child over another. Unfair or extreme discipline that doesn't match the offense. Overprotective hovering that strifles growth. There's a new term for that these days, helicopter parent. Have you heard that one? Wise is the father who understands that his children are not to be molded, but to be unfolded. In other words, you have the privilege, dads. And, and, and by that, I, I realize that most of you have raised your kids but I think we all know and understand that no matter how old they are, we still are their parents and we still can impact and have influence over their lives. Yes. So please don't dismiss this thinking, well, my kid's gone, grown up, yada, yada. No, no, no. You still as a man of God, woman of God, influence and can impact their very lives because they're still watching, right? They are still watching. So why is the father who understands this, who's interested in not molding, but unfolding? In other words, you have this privilege, Dad, of observing your child carefully and seeing how God made them and then, and then unfolding what God has built into them from the very beginning, from the moment that they're born, all for His glory. We watched this film last night, and it was just true story of Ricky Hill, a, a baseball guy who was a baseball player, but was 
born crippled. And was somehow worked through that. His dad's a preacher who is like pretty staunch preacher. You know, it's all about God and loving God and doing God's work. And there's no place for sports or baseball or anything like that. It's played by Dennis Quaid. He does a great, does a great job. Toward the end of the movie, he, he's humbled and because his son is, is who loves God and has just determined that he can, he can show the glory of God and display God and live for God through baseball because he's really good at it, even though he's got some issues physically. And he continues with it, and he's given a chance to try out for a major league contract. And his dad had never, ever been to a baseball game, refused to go. Toward the end of the movie, he, he's humbled. And he realizes his mistakes. And he basically says, as he's kind of sharing to his congregation, where there's only a few at, because most of them are at the tryout where his son's at. <laughs> and he admits to them, uh, I, you know, I, I am embarrassed and I, I, I am ashamed. Because it's for all this time, it's been all about my will for my son and not your will, God, for him. And admitted that and humbled himself and made that, made that. See, that's what we're talking about here. It's understanding what God's doing. And then recognizing that and going with that and impacting that and influencing that and encouraging that, amen? And the results will be a whole lot better than you trying to make something out of your son or daughter that God never intended. And so instead of exasperating or provoking, which brings children down, Paul says, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. The Greek word for bringing up also appears in chapter 5, verse 29, referring to the nourishment of one's own body. So just as husbands are to nourish their wives as they would their own bodies, fathers are to nurture their children, providing for them physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. Instruction is also translated admonition in some of your Bibles. But we all know, maybe not all of us, but most of us are familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. Impress them, it says, referring to biblical spiritual principles on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Dad, you're to talk to your kids, even adult kids. You're to talk to them about the Word of God, about the things of God. But they won't like me, you say. You're not parenting to be liked by your children. <laughs> You're parenting to train them how to live godly lives on earth successfully that will carry over into heaven eternally. Amen? But they'll think I'm preaching at them. Well, you don't have to give your kid a 10-point outline on Leviticus 23. <laughs> you simply need to use those opportunities as they come along, as they arise, naturally to help them to grow spiritually. And one other thing, Dad, no matter what else you or may not do, 
always you must pray for them. Never, ever stop praying for them. I read the story of a preacher who was speaking at a high school, a Christian high school. And he was giving some things about, you know, how he has lived his life and how he has made sure that his family, his kids knew that no matter how busy he was, even if he was down at the church office making, preparing sermons, that his kids could always get through to him, that he was always available to the point where he made sure that the church receptionist knew that if the wife called, if the kids called, no matter how minor it might be, they were to get through. And they knew that they could do that. After he was done speaking, a, a teenage boy came up to him and said, would you adopt me? I can never get through to my father, and I so need his encouragement. Hear that, dads. Hear that. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. When Paul penned these words, it is believed that there were over 6 million slaves throughout the entire Roman Empire at that time because they were often viewed as less than human. They were often also, because of that, treated brutally in most cases. Therefore, Paul's words, can you imagine, are shocking at his time. When he says, servants or slaves... You're not to rebel against your masters. You're not to run from them. You're not to be angry with them. You're to obey your masters just as you would obey God, Christ Jesus. Today, thankfully, most societies have banned slavery and diligently seek to avoid slave-like conditions. So, far, so for us, Paul's words to slaves and masters can be best applied into our situation, what we would know as employee-employer relationships. Whether you're a contract worker, an hourly employee, a manager, or a business owner, Paul's principles of mutual submission applies to you. Paul talked to the slaves and to the masters of his day in the very same way that if he was standing here today, he would be talking to employers and employees. Same principles. Now at this point, some are tempted to think or say, that's, that's all fine and dandy, but you don't know my boss. He's brutal. Well, David had a brutal boss. There he is playing his harp, making music for King Saul. Do you remember what happened? Saul throws a spear at him, tries to pin him to the wall. Not once, not twice, three times. <laughs> David having a keen sense for the obvious. <laughs> they had better get out of town. He does not appreciate my music. <laughs> And he runs for the hills. Literally, he runs to the caves of Engedi, that's down by the Dead Sea. Saul gathered up 3,000 soldiers to go look for one guy, for David. And during this time that he's out there looking for him, because he hears he's down there by Engedi, and he goes down there, 
just happens to inadvertently, you know the story, walk into a cave, and the way the NIV reads is kind of interesting. You're left to yourself to translate, to relieve himself. Well, it just so happens that David and some of his guys are in that very same cave. And David's guys go, yes! Look what God's done for you, David. He's delivered the king right in your head. Now you can chop off his head. But all David does is cut off a piece of the garment. And even then, he's convicted. <laughs> right? He, he's so convicted. He's conscious stricken. And you read all about that in 1 Samuel chapter 24. He feels bad. David shows us that he saw Saul as God's instrument, even though Saul was like way off the charts terrible. And in, 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 in himself rebelling against God. But they, David saw him as God's instrument in his life to produce what? Patience, maturity, compassion, and a greater dependence upon God within his very own life. David sees that, understands it. Here's the question for us. Have you clipped the garment of your boss? They are God's instruments. Appointed ones in your life to develop depth and character and maturity in your life. Lop off their heads by launching a rebellion or losing your temper, finding fault, gossiping about them, and you will forfeit what God wants to do in and through your life. He might not respect the person in authority over you, but you must respect their position because God has put that person in your life. Verse 6 and 7, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. We are to wholeheartedly, it says, do what we're asked of, to do. The, the word wholehearted comes from the Greek phrase in theos. And you know what that means? Full of God. We're to respond. We're to work. Our behavior, whether we like the person or not, is to be as though we are full of the living God. Who becomes the full of God person on the job, in the church, for the kingdom? The one who hears the heart of their employer. The world, the world says, oh, you can skate by, leave early, cover up. But God, however, says, I'm looking for men and women who with cheerful, enthusiastic servant hearts Respect those in positions over them. Verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. 
The enthusiastic work you do for your boss is not primarily for him or her. It's for the Lord. Well, that kind of changes everything, doesn't it? It's for the Lord. And what will be your reward? You'll receive rewards in eternity. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 25. Even if your boss or supervisor never notices anything that you ever do, guess who will? God does. And he's the one that matters anyway, right? Yeah. God will see. God will bless. Verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Employers, just as your employees are to serve you, you are to serve them. For God is not a respecter of persons. He's not impressed by titles. He's not impressed by positions. Mutual submission mandates, folks, that we treat each other with honor and respect as ministering to the Lord. For Him. It's about Him, right? Church, never forget. The world doesn't watch our behavior at church, or when we're at Bible studies in the, at, during weeknights, they watch us at home. They see us at work. They notice how we treat others. They pay attention to how we raise our children. They notice when we labor at our occupations with character and integrity as unto the Lord. And they appreciate the qualities of a thoughtful, fair, and, and generous boss. In all of these realms, even going back to last week, marriage and family and work, we are to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21 of chapter 5 tells us that. In this way, we will demonstrate to all people that not only are we saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but we also are living lives under the control of the Holy Spirit. A missionary was sailing, sailing home after spending 40 years in Africa. On the ship with him was President Teddy Roosevelt, returning from a safari. He was known for that, wasn't he? As the ocean liner pulled into the docks in New York City, thousands of people were on the wharf cheering, bands were playing, reporters were waiting, and everyone was saying, wow, Teddy Roosevelt killed a rhinoceros and an elephant. The missionary turned to his wife and said, you know, I'm a little bit bitter. After two weeks of big game hunting, Teddy Roosevelt receives a hero's welcome because he's killed a rhino and an elephant. Yet we spent 40 years in the jungle, laying down our lives to help people, and no one is here to welcome us home. That night, the Lord spoke to the missionary's heart and simply said, but you're not home yet. I like that. Even if you arrive early, Stay late and work hard at your job as unto the Lord. 
you still might not climb very high on the corporate ladder because you're not home yet. That day is yet to come. It is possible that at your job there is one person who will be impacted by watching you. Hmm. One coworker or, or colleague who will see in you something special, something different. So too, there might be only one guy who works with you, one person who you will influence. But great will be your reward in heaven, church, if you do it faithfully, enthusiastically, and with a single-hearted energy as unto the Lord. Amen. Father, we come before you and thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your patience and kindness with us. Thank you that we are your children. And even those, these things that we've looked at this evening with regards to children and, and dads and parenthood, they still apply to us because the principles work across the board. And so may we latch on to this truth, Lord. May we search our hearts and ask you, Lord, to show us what area might we need to shore up and where is it that we might be failing? Where is it that we might not be giving you the best kind of look in our neighborhoods, in our homes, at our jobs? But may we honor you and may we do all things out of reverence for you, Lord, in our endeavor to live our lives in mutual submission, love, respect, and honor for everyone as unto you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.